0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. It is such a joy for <clears throat> Pat and I to be able to uh, be part of this team and uh, so, par- so grateful for the partnership that we have formed that uh, extends beyond our church and our country and our denomination. This is a postcard picture of the team. And um, if you want one, I think there are some at the Welcome Center. And uh, we can make more for next Sunday if if we run out. So, uh, amen. At the uh, kitty corner to the hotel that we will be staying in the little pueblo town of Misque in the province of Cochabamba is a Catholic church. And as you enter the Catholic church, you read this statement: (inaudible) El Señor te llama, pero no a tu celular, sino a tu corazón. Amigo, apaga tu celular y enciende tu corazón which means the Lord is calling you not on your cell phone, but rather on your heart. Friend, shut off your cell phone and turn on your heart. I think that's great. (laughs) So uh, I hope you do that this morning too. Amen. What a a cool, cool uh, statement. About 15 years ago when we were in Bolivia, I I read a book uh, by various authors. Uh, It's called the Indian face of God in Latin America. And there were two chapters that particularly grabbed my attention because they were about the two different predominant indigenous groups that are in Bolivia, the Aymara and the Quechua, Quechua are descendants of the Incas. And um, I read those chapters with a great deal of interest, and the, the conclusions that they came to were, for me, daunting in the sense that we are going to other countries to share the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ. And there are enormous mountains of blockades or or things that stand in the way of a people receiving the spirit of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are spiritual mountains that are, we would call them in spiritual terms, strongholds. Strongholds like lies that the enemy has planted in a people for generations, superstitions, things that are not true, that are, that are, that are gripping a people, and they, they grow up n- learning these things. They're part of what, what it's all. It's a spiritual stronghold, lies, accusations, deceptions. But then there are the physical strongholds as well which, which seem a lot more tame in fact they bleed together with culture so much so that we can't distinguish sometimes what's really religious and what's really cultural and and i in in this in this book these chapters they describe some of them that i'm going to just share with you right now and it's it's really to me that the daunting task of being called into missions. The penetration of the gospel must take into account these things. The home, for example. The home where family relationships make survival possible. The home is much more than what we would say as our home or our family unit. There, in many places, like in these, uh, the Aymara or the Quechua culture, they're, they're just critical. They are the survival team of, of the, the, the place. There are also agricultural, and agriculture not just as a a means of making money, but a social effort of planting and harvesting and everything in between, done together. There's the community with all its dimensions, not just the community of the living, but the ancestral awareness of others who are also present in their communities. There is also the poor and the needy, which is a social net created by the Aymara or Quechua community And it does not necessarily depend on the government because the government is not always dependable. And so they create in their community a social net. There's the festivals, which we cannot underestimate the incredible experience of their view of God, which is expressed in dance and costume and food and drink, all in the context of interchanges with others in the community. Right now, this week is ending Carnaval, which I'm very glad we're not in the country during Carnaval. And yet it's an incredibly cultural, religious experience to just witness what goes on in that week or two or month of of festivities. Then there's the crisis that occurs from funerals to droughts to other diseases, all shared together to be overcome together. And then the struggle for rights. Oh, here we touch a nerve. We touch a nerve with every indigenous group around the globe, When we understand the struggle for rights, a factor which unites all indigenous peoples, the defense of their land and their life, a community of inter-community solidarity. We see this happening in Canada right now. Whatever you believe about what's happening in Canada right now, you must, you cannot escape it. You are forced to reckon with the fact that there is an indigenous community that is feeling overlooked, minimized. And so all these social factors which we could name, and these are the ones that these two chapters talk about, all these social factors are are incredible because they're they're on the surface, like rivers on the surface, but they're also underground rivers that define the identity of these people, which make up more than two-thirds of the entire population of this country we're going to visit. And so they might say on the surface, surface i'm catholic i'm baptist i'm methodist but who are they really i'm aymara i'm quechua it's like an underground river of identity and so to to penetrate for the gospel of christ to penetrate is incredible 500 years ago when the catholic church arrived in latin america they penetrated on the surface, and so they, they accepted a syncretized gospel where the Pachamama is offered to Mother Earth, where the witch doctor and the priest stand together on the steps of the temple or of the Catholic Church, and they, they both minister because they've got this syncretized view of God. And so how do we see transformation? It could be so overwhelmingly... Impossible, except for the fact that we believe that God is on the march, that God saves souls, that God penetrates hearts. He works past all the barriers, all the strongholds, physical and spiritual, he's able to save. But we must not minimize the fact that it requires a very incarnational ministry, and it takes time. Well, It's a delight for me to share this morning in the text, and it was God's providence alone that lined up our our sermon series with the the commissioning of Bolivia, because this text is really precious, Genesis chapter 12. And uh, here's what our family looked like when we went to Bolivia in 2002. (laughs) Sorry, didn't. And... um, and our call to missions uh, occurred in 2001 when I was pastoring a church in Thunder Bay. And uh, the, the scripture that God used to remind us and to call us into missions was Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Go to the land that I will show you. It was the summer of 2001 when Pat and I, everywhere we turned, we kept on facing this verse. We'd come to Winnipeg to visit Pat's folks. We went to a church here The preacher was preaching on this verse. We'd listen to a radio broadcast. The preacher was preaching on this verse. We'd open up our daily reading. God was talking about Hebrews 12, or else the the counterpart in Hebrews, or sorry, Hebrews 11 or Genesis 12. And we kept on having this come toward us. And eventually we realized that God was indeed lifting something out of the bottom of our hearts, unsettling us and disturbing the sediment and lifting us up to do something greater uh, and different in in our lives and in that season of our lives, and um, so our message this morning is really not about our call, but it's about the call of Abraham. And he said, God said to him, "Go to the land that I will show you." And that land became known as Canaan. That land became known as the Promised Land. That land would be years later overcome by Joshua and the Israelites, and the Canaanites would be driven out or wiped out. And and God would set up this nation of Israel through the seed of Abraham. And all of this incredible history is what we have as a church to look back on as the very ancestry that we have and the roots that we have. And so let's take a look at this text this morning. I so appreciated what Tim shared last week uh, when he spoke on the Tower of Babel. And he contrasted the Tower of Babel with the story of Abraham and The story of the Tower of Babel was a time in history when humanity had become so arrogant and so independent of any need for God, they'd become convinced of their own ability to become great, to be a blessing to themselves, to make their name great. And so God in his goodness, God in his mercy, came down and disrupted the party, broke it up, scattered them over all the earth. That was in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. But in Genesis 12 we're introduced to another man and this man is named Abram and Abram when we're introduced to him he's we're not introduced to a proud man we're introduced to a a humble one we're not introduced to a man who lived independent of God we actually are introduced to a man of faith who was seeking after God we do not meet a man who who wanted to make a name for himself We meet a God who wanted to make his name great and make one man into a nation. And that nation would become Israel. And they would live for God's glory, not their own glory. And God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and then all nations on earth will be blessed through you. What an incredible promise. What an incredible statement. You see, from the very beginning, that was God's plan Adam and Eve were told to fill the earth. Fill the earth because I want to be, God says, I want to be known on this earth. I want to be praised on this earth. God wanted himself to be known. He wanted to be in relationship with every people from every part of this globe. And we see this theme running throughout Scripture. And this morning, what I would like to do with you, besides looking at this text in a few verses, I want us to go up to 30,000 feet, and I want us to look down at the entire Bible. I want us to look down at all of redemptive history. I want to do a sweeping survey of everything that is all about God's glory and our best good in all of history. I want to try to do that in the next 30 minutes. And if you'll take the insert that's in your bulletin out, you're going to help me by reading the scripture with me, found in that yellow insert, and we're going to be looking at it. Now, I think there might be a few bulletins left. If you want to raise your hand, the ushers might have one or two or three. So I see a hand down here. Anybody got some? uh, Dave, you got some more bulletins for us? What What a great problem to have. We run out of bulletins. And so you'll notice in that bulletin insert, on the front half of it, there are six different scriptures. I've got them up here on the overhead, and i just like you to join me in reading them. And uh, I'll state the scripture up front, and then you read the passage with me. Would you stand, if you're able to, and listen to God's word? Let's start with Genesis 12:1 and 2. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And from Psalm 67, 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your ways may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Habakkuk 2, 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb let us pray oh god our father as we as we humble ourselves and sit under these passages of scripture as we look at the broad sweeping purpose of of you in all of history oh god as we think about this this morning, give our puny minds understanding and our puny hearts much more passion. Lord, where, where the smoldering wick of, of uh, light and passion for you is burning dim, Lord, would, we, would you enlighten it? Would you, would you fan it into flame, God, today? Holy Spirit of God, would you come down and take out the flatness of our spirits and raise them up to the mountains, God, where we would be able to see the broad purposes that you have from the beginning to the very end, from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, God, would you be pleased today to create that spark that needs to grow into a flame of white-hot desire for your glory in this world? Help us as we look at it together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. These verses represent a sweeping, a sweeping survey of the purposes of God. What is it all about? What is it all about? It's about God being known on this earth. And as I said, from Genesis to Revelation, they serve like bookends to this theme <clears throat> that we see throughout all of scripture. <clears throat> the Bible begins and ends with a temple, God being known and dwelling with his people. When we were talking, About the creation in the Garden of Eden we realized as we looked at that holy ground of Eden We realized that was the first temple that was where God dwelt among his people Adam and Eve And we see this incredible theme go all through scripture this desire for God to dwell among his people in his temple And then we become the temple of the living God and at the end of Revelation we see this temple imagery again Of what God is going to do as we gather and he dwells with us we see also that the Bible begins and ends with the tree of life that life itself uh, not just physical life but spiritual life is to be is to be had because of God we were meant to be in relationship with God and so from beginning to end our life sustenance is to be drawn from God we see it and then as well the Bible begins and ends with a global call Fill the earth and subdue it, is told to Adam and Eve. And at the end, what do we see? We just read it. We see at the end of the age, people from every nation and tribe and family and language all around the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's what we're all driving. That's our destiny. We're all going to that place as the redeemed of the Lord in Jesus Christ. This is the broad scope of God's purposes, of God's heart. And a decisive point in time comes in all of biblical history in Genesis chapter 12 when we are introduced to this man called Abram. And God begins to show us again what God is about in that time. And so the root system of the church can be traced back to Abraham because God's promise was to make him into a great nation. in in the chapter we've read in the verse i will make you into a great nation genesis 12 and verse 1 we know that that nation became israel and the messiah of israel became jesus christ we read in galatians chapter 3 verse 16 the promises to spoken to abraham and to his seed the scripture does not say and to his seeds plural meaning many people but to your seed meaning one person jesus christ jesus christ is the seed of Abraham. And in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, is the church. In him we are called together to be one people for his glory, the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Paul uses this word picture of the tree in Romans chapter 11 and verse 17. He says, and you, talking to us Gentiles, he says, and you, though a wild olive shoot, We're grafted in. You were grafted in so that you can share also in the nourishing root of the olive tree. See, that's who we are. We were grafted into Israel. We were grafted in because of Jesus Christ's mercy, because of the promise of Abraham to Abraham to to bless all nations. Israel didn't get it for most of their history. Israel didn't get it. They thought that they were the special privileged people, that it was for them. They didn't see their heart for the nations, the, God, the heart of God for the nations. And we have to see that in all of Scripture. Paul, again, preaching in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, he says, Brothers, children of Abraham, he's talking to the Jews, and then he says, And you God-fearing Gentiles. He's talking to the whole crowd now in Antioch. And he says to them, It is to us, All of you, that this message of salvation has been given. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and God has made one new people out of the two. That's what God says. And so we see the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham in the book of Revelation when people from every tribe and every language and nation are standing around the throne in heaven and they're worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We see it in Revelation over and over again. John is given the vision of these pictures that are to come. I love it in Revelation 5, 9. He says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From where? From every tribe and language and people and nation. Everybody that is ever going to be in eternity in intimacy with God the Father is coming through the gate of Jesus Christ and they're from all the globe. In all of history, God is going to be glorified. So we see a grand reversal take place. The people that are scattered are now being brought back together. In fact, it's interesting that in the New Testament, the word church, ecclesia, is this idea of being called out. Called out ones. You're called out of darkness into light. You're called out of sin into righteousness. You're called... Uh, from a a futile way of living into a purposeful way of living we're the called out ones we're the church of jesus christ a cuban-born theologian by the name of justo gonzalez says this he says worship is also an act of rehearsal it is an anticipation of things to come it is the moment at which we are reminded that our lives and our world have a goal and that this goal is that day when every nation and tribe and people and language will worship God and the Lamb. And then, oh, who could say it better than John Piper? Listen to this statement. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Well, some people say, what? Missions isn't the ultimate goal? No, he says worship is. Yeah, and I love this statement. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not missions because god is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of god missions will be no more but worship abides forever amen Amen. praise god that's that's our destiny that's our calling That's where we're going towards, folks. If you're not learning to worship God Monday to Sunday in this earth, what will you be doing for all of eternity? If you cannot get up in the morning and open up your Bible and say, God, speak to me today. Today is your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. What will you be doing in heaven? He says, Justo Gonzalez says, this is a rehearsal. (laughs) That's good. Every time Kevin or someone else leads us in worship, we're just rehearsing. And so I want you to see God's purposes. I want you to see this morning that God's purposes for Abraham are God's purposes for you. That's what I want you to see. And God, in a, in a, in a nutshell, God says, you are, I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, and you're gonna be a blessing. That's the shape of all theology, folks. It's all like this. The whole Bible summed up with two arrows. All of redemptive history summed up with two arrows. You will be a blessing because you have been blessed. God says, I'm gonna bless you, and it's not just to hang on to that blessing for yourself. No, he says, I wanna make you a blessing. That's the call of Abraham. And that's the purpose of your life as well. So let's unpack that. Let's think that through. Think, first of all, of how Scripture throbs with this picture. Scripture bleeds this, this picture of the two arrows blessed in order to be a blessing. The vertical and the horizontal meeting up. Just as when I talked about the Aymara and catch you a people how it is in the, in the spiritual and in the physical strongholds that 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 are opposition to the gospel being deeply planted in that people there is the vertical and the horizontal that must meet up to be a to be blessed in order to be a blessing Jesus said freely freely you have received then what did he say freely give Paul, in teaching the Corinthian church about how to give offerings and so on, he said, you will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. That's the shape of Scripture. Jesus in Luke 12 says, To him who has been given much, what is it? Much will be required. And Jesus, when he he comes along and sums up all of the law and the prophets, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then what does he say? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, it's all of Scripture. It's all of redemptive history summed up in two arrows. That's the shape of biblical theology, and that's the shape of world missions. It's the shape of world missions. God blessed a people in and through his son in order to make them a blessing to all nations. And so I want to conclude our time this morning with three implications that sat on Abraham and they sit on us as well. Responding in faith to God's call on your life requires three things, just as it did for Abraham. And the first thing I want to say about this is that responding in faith to God's call on your life means leaving something behind. There's no way around it, folks. The call to follow Jesus means leaving something behind. Abraham left behind his country, his father's family, and his false religion. Abraham grew up among a people who were idol worshipers in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans present-day Iraq, about 160 miles north of the Persian Gulf. He lived around 2,000 B.C. And in that land, like so many peoples that had been descendants of Noah, of course, the understanding of the living God had grown thin. And like so many ancient tribal peoples, they had started to worship the moon and the sun instead of the the creator of the moon and the sun that's likely what Abraham was doing in Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 as he looks back and he was a lot closer to the scene than we are so I think we can take his word for it he's talking about the father of Abraham whose name was Terah and he said that he served other gods (laughs) so we know that Abraham wasn't really understanding God until God revealed himself to Abram Abraham was told to leave it all behind and to follow the true and living God, and he did. He got up and left, and he followed the Lord. He he left behind his father, his father's uh, family, his his, uh, father's religion, his own country, because God is a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory with other gods. And Abram, of course, marks the, the beginning, a new beginning again, just as we saw after Adam with Noah, and then perhaps there was a kind of a new beginning at the Tower of Babel, but here we see another new beginning as the history of the church is traced back to Abram. And Abram is like us. He, God asks each of us as well to leave something behind, not just when we come to be a follower of Jesus, but every day of our lives. What is it? As we do heart inventory of the toys of our hearts, of the things that are like hearts affections, what is it that God says to you every day? Well, what is it that you need to leave behind? What is it that you need to offer up and say, Lord, if, if this isn't something you want to be part of my life, I'm willing to put it on the altar. That's the kind of open relationship of faith and trust that we ought to have with God. Jesus was clear that when a Anyone comes to him, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We have to leave something behind. I remember when I was in high school, it it meant leaving behind some friends. I had a a special best friend named Tim. I I knew that, that we had to go separate paths. I knew that as well at that time in my life that probably I had to leave behind some kind of popularity or being liked i remember god giving me the grace to do that and today even now i know that there are times when god just knocks on my heart's door and says you need to leave that behind what is it that he might be saying to you today then as well responding in faith to god's call on your life brings greater blessing than you could ever achieve for yourself you need to be convinced of that you need to be convinced that responding to faith and following obediently to god is going to bring greater blessing than any kind of plan for your life that you could make. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? They sought to be a blessing to themselves. They said to each other, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower, its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And God confounded that. And as sinful humans, we have somehow been hardwired to want to do the same. We we are hardwired to be in control, to make our own blessings, to be independent, autonomous, to not trust that God has our best interests in mind. That was the lie that Adam and Eve believed from the serpent in in, in the garden. God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. You need to see what this fruit tastes like of this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. It is only by faith that you'll ever learn that God's plan is better than your best laid plans. So God can make more of your life. More blessing can come in your life in the dry places and in the hard places with God than could be in the prosperous places and the easy places with yourself. We were reminded of that yesterday in this room when we met for the men's breakfast and Sean Major shared with the men of the church on a theme called Living on the Sidelines. And uh, it was a brilliant moment that came in Sean's life, and he shared it with us. It was the highlight of the morning for me when Sean shared with us that all of a sudden, one day, a voice came to him that said, who said you're living on the sidelines? I love that. Who said that you're living on the sidelines? It was at a time in Sean's life when, when he was feeling like, that wasn't what God had called him to be and do. He was working a job he didn't think he was meant to be doing. He thought that God had other plans for his life. And yet, looking back, he, could tell us, he told us a story of just how incredibly fruitful his ministry was in that sideline job that God had for him. See, that's God's way so often, isn't it? Abraham's life accounted for so much because God blessed him in order to be a blessing what would have become of Abram's life if he had said no and so how about you this morning are you willing to give God a chance to bless you and to make your life a blessing have you been holding off have you been resistant to letting him really have control in your life do you feel like you're on the sidelines think of how long Abram waited to see the fulfillment of God's promise. He really was testing him in his faith. Finally, I want to share with you that responding in faith to God's call on your life makes your life a blessing to others, and especially those different than you. I want to underline this. Perhaps Abram only envisioned that God would make him and his family into a great nation, and that was where the boundaries would stop, that it would go no farther than that. Israel got it wrong so often. They didn't understand that they were meant to be a blessing to all the nations. But God had different plans. Do you know, when I was a, a teenager still, just late teens, God gave me two verses that became life verses for me. And um, one of them was from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I don't know why, but early in my life, that verse became a shaping influence for me. I, I began, began to see that I, I had a destiny that was God ordained. And, and I began to just trust him, that he's going to direct my steps. And then the second verse was from, uh, from Corinthians fifteen ten, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Instead, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. These scriptures early in my life rooted in my life some kind of a direction, some kind of a trust Even before I was called into pastoral ministry, I knew somehow, through these two verses especially, that I was meant to be doing something on this earth that was going to outlive me, that it was going to last for eternity. And the question I have for you is, what about you? Is it possible that the hand of God is leading you to a crossroads? Is it possible that this morning, under the, the, the teaching of my voice right now, there is someone sitting in this room, That is, at a transitions in life that has to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Will you trust in your own resources and follow your own wisdom, or will you say, no, I want to take the step and trust God? I pray for you that you would take the step to trust God. Like Abraham and Sarah, God is not always telling you where, but he is telling you what? He's with you. is with you in the 1500s the spanish jesuit missionary francis xavier wrote to his fellow students who were studying comfortably at the university of paris while he was ministering in asia and he said to them this these words he said tell the students to give up their small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of christ I love that statement he was writing from Asia for 10 years he had been spreading the gospel in India China and Japan and he wanted earnestly his life to count for something for eternity and he was inviting his friends to come and join him sometimes that's the way God works is he doesn't ask you alone to go he's inviting a whole group of people to go isn't it wonderful that God's shaping our church with a mission's heart someone said that the peril of the church is not that it will fail but that it will have success in matters of little importance i don't want to come to the end of the age and say have god say to me well you sure did that well but it didn't matter much i don't want god coming to my pile of good works or our pile of good works and he takes his blowtorch at it and it all ends up being a little pile of cinders on the ground when some other church and some other people are, are really seeking eternal things, and, and boy, that, that hardly gets, gets diminished after the fire of testing. God, I want God to do great things. Is God calling you to make an, a life-altering decision? Are you tied to this world or its comfort so much? Do you have courage to step out? Are you willing to say today, God, I'm, I'm not there, But I'm willing to be made willing. That's a good start. It's a good start. And I want to tell you, sometimes God will surprise you because God's going to call you to minister to someone totally different than you. I mean, isn't that the way of God? Jesus said, how are you different if you only love those who love you? What's so special about that? No, but God says, I'm doing something global. I want to meet many people. You know, I thank God that he's raised up from our own midst some people who are involved in in the kind of ministry that is cross-cultural, and it's not simply a Barnabas kind of ministry. I'm not diminishing that at all. What we are going to Bolivia to do is really important, I believe. But it is strengthening a church that's already there, but I am so glad that God is sending some of our people off to places where, where the, the church is weak and thin and sparse, like Tim was mentioning last week in Thailand where they ministered. And I'm so grateful to God for Courtney Cleaver, for Andrew and Courtney Joy Friesen. And I, I think God's doing something, folks. I don't know what it is, but he's bringing us people that are gonna strengthen the arm of missions in our church. Tim and Brenda Noble, Ed and Joy Lowen, Arnold and Jacoba Cruel. I can see Dan Penner still with his roots in Afghanistan. And I think God's doing something to, to stir us up to have a heart for the nations. So I want to conclude by simply reading a scripture, and I'll invite the worship team to come. And I want to read this scripture And uh, I I, I think Pat reminded me this morning of a book by Samuel Escobar. I think it's a book or else it's an article and it's called From Everywhere to Everyone because God's mixing up the nations. He's bringing people to Canada but he's sending people elsewhere too. God wants to create a joy for him, the supremacy of God for the joy of all. And so I want to just read to you this final scripture before... I leave this pulpit. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May the Lord Jesus be glorified, amen.
1: This is a great old song it's in response to what we've heard today. And it depicts, it describes uh, a call from God and a response from us. And I invite you to approach it prayerfully. Let's stand together and sing this. <laughs> oh, Lord, you have blessed us so much. So much you have blessed us and you keep on blessing us. And we know And we have been reminded again today that you have called us to be a blessing to others for the sake of your son Jesus' name. And there's questions in, I think, many hearts after we've looked at the passage that we did today. There's questions in many hearts saying, Lord, what, what might you have for me? What are you calling me to do? And what if I'm too afraid to do it? Whatever the questions are, I pray that you'd meet each one of us at the place of those questions. Help us to learn of you and help us to trust you more and remind us again and again, because we need to be reminded that we will be blessed in how you grow us as we obey you. Send us from here today out to wherever we go. For your name's sake, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.